Iowa pulls away and takes down Syracuse in this portion of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. I'm Bobby Manning. That's James Zuba. This is the Syracuse Basketball Podcast. We're in panic mode, James. The alarms are just ringing behind you, so it's time we bring on a guest. We have someone here to break down Georgia Tech, and suddenly this ACC matchup that they just decided to sprinkle into December looks like one of the more important games of the year. Honestly, this whole week ahead with Georgetown falling apart, the only silver lining to the start to the season for the Orange is what's going on down there in Washington. But first, they have to get through Georgia Tech. They can't fall to 4-5. and five. We're recording this after a disaster against Iowa. It somehow got worse after New York City, James. We recorded after that Brooklyn bout with Penn State and Oklahoma State. They needed a win against a top 50 opponent there. The opportunities are gone in the non-conference for that kind of win now, unless Georgetown hangs on the rest of the season. But they squandered a second half again and completely fell out of the game 38-25 to in that second half. Four minutes left to go. People have flown out of the stadium, and it looks like it's looked like all season long. Missed threes, no movement on offense, and what can you say? They were just missing shots, James. He heard it again. No, there's no silver lining to this season. Syracuse 4-4, four and four, which is the worst start in the Jim Beheim era, and you've already heard that, you know, ad nauseum at this point, I'm sure, but, uh, you know, Syracuse just looks very awful. Uh, there's, there's no way around it. Um, you know, hasn't played of the, the the four power five opponents that they've played, haven't played any of them to within 14. Uh, in fact, that's been the margin three times outside of Penn State. Um, all three other losses were by 14 points to Virginia, to Oklahoma State, and now to Iowa. Uh, yeah, not not really, as Beheim said, after the New York City game, not a whole lot to hold your hat on, uh, not, a, not a whole lot to look forward to. And I don't know, Bob. I don't know if this team could finish 500 in the ACC. And obviously, as we know, already 0-1 in that category. Uh, not going to be favored on the road at Georgia Tech. You know, Ken Palm actually predicts a, a three-point Georgia Tech victory at home there. And that's a really important game because, as we know, the league's going to 20 league games. You don't want to start out 0-2 in the league before you get that, you know, before you hit January. Yeah, especially so it, when it's... The league looks better overall than we expected coming in. Virginia Tech's been great. Louisville is the number one team in the nation. UNC is very strong. Duke is always great. And there's some depth to the conference that we didn't quite expect going into the season. So these are the teams that are going to have to take advantage of the Miamis, the Boston Colleges, and the Georgia Techs who are figuring it out. This Georgia Tech team, though, as we talked with our guests just a few minutes ago and in the interview we have coming up next, they have some strengths that can really prolong some of the issues that the Orange have faced so far, and that's getting to the interior, defending overall, especially on the back line and in the high post where they had so much trouble against Iowa. Looks like those things could be issues again. No doubt. Uh, when you look at James Banks down low, he's another solid big guy that Syracuse is going to have to go up against. That's been the theme in all the losses. He had your knee in Oklahoma State, you had Mike Watkins, who I'm pretty sure is is 40 years old. I'm pretty yeah. sure he's he might have a family. Uh, he he was a problem. And then you look at last night against Iowa. 
You had Luca Garza come in, and of course he had a great game. So that's been Syracuse's biggest weakness, I think, as far as the defense goes, is allowing these big guys to, you know, get get presence inside and get rebounds and, and finish over the top. Syracuse hasn't been able to do anything about that, and they're going to face that again these next two games, really, because you have Omer Yurt seven on Georgetown, and then you have James Banks and Georgia Tech. So that's going to be a big problem for Syracuse on Saturday night. Everything's just compounding everything else right now, and preparation's going to be a big deal going into Saturday. I'm picking Georgia Tech in this game because it feels like Syracuse is just being out-prepared for these games night in and night out. The other teams look so well-prepped for the zone. I was talking to Iowa's Luca Garza and Joe Weisskamp after the game that they were watching film back to 2015 on the zone coming into this one. As we know, Jim Beheim doesn't even make Syracuse look at film. So we'll get into a bigger picture discussion about where Syracuse is headed if this week goes as bad as it possibly could. But we'll hold on to some hope going in this Georgia Tech matchup. Georgetown, what's going on down there has been very well documented. And we have a guest here to help break down this big one on Saturday. Uh, We're going to do it. We're going to bring on Michael Hunter in a second. Uh, very knowledgeable guy of ACC basketball report for those who don't know, and he's been following the Georgia Tech program for a long time. So let's go ahead and let's bring Michael on. The first guest ever on the Syracuse Basketball Podcast. Uh, Michael, how how we doing, man? How are you? Wow, the first ever. I'm honored. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, you know, you and I connected over the summer, and uh, it's been fun. It's been great conversations so far. It's only because we're desperate, man. We need a win. <laughs> Uh, for those that don't know, Michael knows all things ACC basketball, and he's followed uh, the Georgia Tech program for, for quite some time. But, uh, yeah, for those that don't know, Michael, can you, can you give us a little background on you and you know how long you've been doing the site and how long you've been following Georgia Tech basketball for? Uh, Georgia Tech goes back to uh, the Stephon Marbury days, 1995. Um, I was a, a kind of a, a casual fan before that, but uh, the Kremens era – and some of the star-studded teams that G-Tech had back then post uh, Kenny Anderson. And even, even you know, when I was a kid, Kenny Anderson kind of fascinated me as well as the Fab Five. I've read Mitch Albom's book, The Fab Five, probably a half a dozen times. But when I started to watch Stefan Marbury play, that was when I really fell in love with Georgia Tech, just just the way that team played with him and, and Drew Barry and Harpering. And, you know, Eddie Elisma, Michael Maddox, it goes on and on. Then I really fell in love with them. Uh, when they made the Final Four run 2003-2004, uh, came up short against UConn. But, um, you know, B.J. Elder is – he's my favorite player of all time, and probably 98% of college basketball fans have no idea who he is. But if you get the <laughs> opportunity, go ahead and look him up. He was a fantastic player for Tech in the early 2000s. Um, as far as ACC Basketball Report, I started the site accbasketballreport.com in September of – 2017 i believe and then i i started producing the podcast uh following shortly after the new year 2018 i got about 80 episodes on uh on spotify as well as as apple podcasts and uh you know it's been fun i'm starting to to pull in some really good guests such as james um <laughs> i had uh yasir rosemond on a couple weeks ago who was uh you know a former assistant coach at oregon uh georgia as well as alabama um I've actually had, uh, let's see, recently, you know, you see I got Bobby Regan from Barstool coming on next week, uh, Jim Root coming on in a couple weeks, as well as uh, as Rob Doster coming on in a couple weeks. So, yeah, things are are starting to roll with that podcast, and, uh, you know, I'm just very fortunate to be involved with some of the people I'm involved in. 
Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, Jim Rue, he's the guy from Three Man Wee, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's awesome. And Doster, everybody. I think Syracuse fans are pretty familiar with Rob Doster. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so let's let's get into it here. Uh, we've got a Syracuse Georgia Tech matchup coming up this Saturday, and an unconventional game. Sort of, you know, it's in line with the new twenty-game, you know, ACC league schedule and. Uh, what have you there, and then this one's kind of just slept in the middle. But, you know, for Syracuse fans, let's let's stick to the Georgia Tech side of things. Uh, okay. Tech is out to a 3-2 and two start on the year. Um, they opened at NC State and actually won that game. Mm-hmm. And beat Elon, lost at Georgia to Anthony Edwards, and then lost on a banked-in three to Arkansas, and then pulled out a nail-biter on a DeVoe three-point play against Bethune-Cookman at home. Uh, last game. So, uh, with that, Michael, uh, what what have you seen from Georgia Tech this year, and how uh, how do they they match up coming into this game against Syracuse? Uh, you know, for, it's going to be we're all going to suffer together as fans. I think <laughs> in this game, um, you know, both teams, you know, Georgia Tech typical under Josh Passner pretty well struggles on offense. Um, you know, for some reason we're able to recruit shooters, but for some reason they forget how to shoot once they get to Atlanta. Uh, Michael DeVoe, I believe, is currently leading the ACC in scoring at about yep. 23, 24 a game, somewhere around there. Um, and it has kind of really put this team on his back on the offensive end. On the defensive end, James Banks, since he's left Texas and come ho- back home to Atlanta, has really developed into, I think, one of the premier centers in the ACC at the very least. Uh, currently leading the nation in blocks. Uh, he's logging double-doubles. He's staying out of foul trouble. He's staying healthy early on in the season. You know, where this team kind of struggles is Jose Alvarado's out with a high ankle sprain. Um, he kind of – he was in a boot for the Elon game. Georgia Tech struggled. He came back for the Georgia game, re-aggravated it, and then was about to come back again. And in practice, Khalid Moore come down on his ankle and re-aggravated it. Uh, the latest on him is he's going to be out until around the new year. Uh, Chapasner said the other day, uh, December 31st. So he's obviously not going to play in this game or the Kentucky game. So when he's not on the floor, G-Tech really struggles. Bubba Parham, uh, who's a transfer from VMI, has has really struggled shooting about 30% from the field uh, in the starting role so far this season. So, you know, when DeVoe's on, we have a chance. We play a, kind of an amoeba zone that's a little bit different from the 2-3 zone that, that uh, Syracuse plays. It's kind of a you know, I've been watching it for three years, and I still really can't explain how <laughs> how the rotations work, but it seems to work. I mean, G-Tech's number three in the country right now in uh, effective field goal percentage defense, number five in the country in two-point percentage allowed, and, you know, the top 40 team in adjusted defensive efficiency. So, once again, we're getting it done with defense. The problem is we make, you know, very poor decisions on offense sometimes, on, on simple things like traveling when attacking a closeout or post-entry passes with a poor angle. Things like that are just – they've become too much of a trend at Georgia Tech under Passner and under Brian Gregory before him, unfortunately. It's just sometimes these guys have mental lapses and play low IQ basketball, and it leads to a lot of turnovers and you know lower-scoring lower games. Michael, I know this Georgia Tech team from a defensive standpoint is always great. I think mm-hmm. that's the underrated part of Passner is that he always coaches up defense. They always have a great defense. This year, they're top 50 in Ken Palm. But it seems like they were in a similar place as a program that Syracuse is in right now. You had a guy like Lammers going out, Michael DeVoe coming up, and then James Banks getting into the upper-class region of uh, the roster now. 
do you feel like they're in a place now where that transition period's over? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think you you have to look at it now as you know this is his fourth season. These guys are his guys, so any success or or failures, you know, solely rest upon him. These are the guys that he recruited. Um, you know, these are his game plans for the most part. Um, I think as far as kind of a rebuild, I think G-Tech might be a year ahead uh, of Syracuse because I think your freshman class this year is very good and, and will take a step forward next year, whereas this year should have been the year where DeVoe, you know, takes the step, which he has. Khalid Moore should have took a step, which he has on the defensive end. James Banks has showed out so far this season. You know, we, there's no no complaints about that. You know, and, and really – you know, this is a, a team that should contend for an NCAA tournament berth, but Jose Alvarado has just been unable to stay healthy over his three years. Ever since he dislocated his elbow in, in year one, it's just he's just had difficulty. You know, he's not very big in stature, so it, it can be expected when you play 35 to 37 minutes a game. I, you know, if they were, he said the other day, if they were completely healthy and they were 100% efficient, which is kind of a, a foolish answer, you know, they would, they would be in the NCAA tournament in, you know, the consideration, but if you're not going to get Alvarado back until the new year, I mean, you're, you're in big trouble. You got, you know, that goes from, you know, that, that takes you out of the Emerald classic with, um, with uh, Boise state where they had an opportunity to get a, a win against Boise state in Houston and certainly can't write them off with those teams, but without Alvarado, this team is just ineffective on offense and it's kind of set us back a year. And Next year we lose banks and we bring in freshman big men. So the rebuild might kind of take a couple steps back as well. Banks is who I'm worried about going into this one. We've seen Watkins. We've seen Yorane, the big guy for Iowa last night, Luca Garza. Three bigs in a row that just obliterated the orange. And honestly, James, I don't know how they're going to overcome a guy like Banks shutting down the middle again. I, that's just been the death nail in the Celtic in this uh, Celtics Syracuse start to the season <laughs> I'm already on to the Celtics am aren't I <laughs> through four and four they've they through these three straight losses they've seen big men who have locked down the middle kept the penetration out and had them spotting up jumpers without passes without anything setting them up and that's where the offense has just gone to shreds they are 5 for 34 in the backcourt between Gerard and Bayheim the last three games. And now you run into another guy like Banks. I don't know how they circumvent that. It, has anyone been able to figure that guy out with five blocks a game so far? No. Um, you know, and he's, he is the anchor. I mean, it really – the biggest difference I see between, you know, the game against Iowa and the, the upcoming game against Georgia Tech is Iowa shoots – Iowa shoots 40% from three. And, you know, Jordan Bohannon's been playing out of his mind. And Luca Garza is – I'm not going to say that James isn't offensively gifted because he is a good offensive player, but Luca Garza is is kind of polished as a big man. I mean, he makes tough shots. He made a lot of tough shots against Syracuse. I mean, where, you know, Sidibe was in his mug or Dolajai was in his mug, and he just – you know, he's got a soft touch. He just kind of gets it up on the rim and it goes through. I'm not sure James has that particular touch. He's more of a – get the offensive rebound and flush it or, you know, get, you know, a, a handoff as somebody drives to the hoop and draws attention or, or drives help side D and they just kind of dump it off and he lays it in. He's not usually going to beat you one-on-one. -on -one. I'm interested to see who plays in that high post position. I'm assuming it's going to be Moses Wright that takes that, that uh, free throw high post uh, position against that, that defense. But when, when you pull Moses, you know, 15 feet away from the basket, 
it's it's not a big it's not a big confidence point for Georgia Tech fans because Moses outside of about six feet is is fairly ineffective and, and fairly turnover prone. So this this zone really has me sketched out a little bit because as a team, you know, like I said, Iowa shoots 40% from three. Georgia Tech shoots under 30% as a team from three. So, I mean, you can let DeVoe hit four or five threes and G-Tech might only hit six as a team for the game. So, you know, we're going to see a rock fight. I think this is like a 42-38, maybe a, a 46-40 game. Because, yeah, we'll, we'll race to 65. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Race to 40. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, you mentioned uh, Alvarado. Obviously, he's he's not going to be in this one, and, and Syracuse fans should know that name because it's a former Syracuse recruit out of New York City. But uh, let's let's talk about DeVoe a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, leading the ACC in scoring, like you said, and he's he's among, if he's not the best shooter uh, in the ACC. Of course, I, I think it's DJ Vasilovich, but, you know, you might beg to differ there. But what is his game like, and how good of a shooter is he? Uh, you know, it's funny. I put a, uh, it's funny. You mentioned both those guys. I put a poll on, uh, on Twitter a couple days ago or probably a couple weeks ago now at this point. And those two guys, I asked who was the best shooter in the ACC and those two guys made it. And yeah, I, fun. and I can't remember who I put for a third. And then I just put, you know, a write in for the next guy. It was Jack white. It was Jack white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and people laughed at me like, how did you choose these three? And well, I'm talking about purely as a as a, a three point jump shooting wing. I mean, these guys. I mean, Mark L. Johnson can shoot. Elijah Hughes can shoot, but that's not their primary function on the court. Michael Devoe is currently shooting 62 percent from three. I mean, you know, he <laughs> he's 13 of 21 on the season. Um, as far as other points of his game, he is not somebody who's going to out athlete you. I guess is a good way to put it. But he's very deliberate with uh, deliberate with his dribble. Um, very methodical. He's going to get on the baseline and he's not going to rush the shot. He's not going to get overwhelmed. He's going to head fake. He's going to pump fake. He's going to shoulder fake and, and try to get you out of position. And then, you know, he's still six, five, which he looks a little bit smaller than that, but he is legit six, five. And then he's going to just lay it in. He can lay it in with both hands. He can absorb contact. And then traditionally he is a good free throw shooter. He, he's yet to show that this year, still shooting about 71% has missed the front end of some one-on-ones. But he's a he's a three level scorer. You know he's got the floater. He can get on the baseline and go up against the bigs. Finish with both hands. He can take the contact, and then he can shoot it up to twenty five. And I think with Alvarado out, you're going to see him handle the ball a lot with Parham struggling. I think they're going to run a, a lot of a uh, high ball screen action between him and Banks. Let him get some cuts. Look for Khalid more for hard cuts from Banks. Him and uh, Khalid have have a pretty good rapport. But as far as DeVoe goes, I mean, right now he's playing himself into the first round of the NBA draft, in my opinion, which should scare the heck out of all Georgia Tech fans because that could really reset the uh, the uh, the reload here. But as far as guys playing in the ACC right now, he's playing as well as anybody in the ACC. No doubt. I, I think there's a great opportunity in this game for him and Elijah Hughes to have a shootout. And that's probably the only way we do see high scoring in this game is if both those guys are going back and forth. I do like the road setting in this one, James, for Syracuse a little bit in a game against Georgia Tech. 
like Michael said, they're missing a lot of threes. They're not a sharp shooting team as a whole. If they're able to force turnovers, Georgia Tech had 18 in their first game against NC State, and they're able to ride that in transition. I still say that's the only way Syracuse figures it out offensively this year is if they can get the defense right, use the turnovers, use the missed shots, and get out there in transition for threes and the like. Because in the half court, I just don't think they have it right now, especially in this game against Banks. Yeah, they're going to have to get stops defensively, no doubt. And and that's, you know, one thing that we talked about last Friday, Bobby, is that, you know, you can't get out on the break if you don't get stops defensively. And then that's what happened against Penn State is you get crushed on the boards, you know, you get scored on, and then you got to take it out of bounds, and there's, there's no way you can push the ball up the court. And so it kind of feeds into one another. But, um, yeah, going into this one, I think Syracuse – Definitely going to struggle on that end of the court, just given the Georgia Tech defense and just bringing it back to last season. I mean, Syracuse lost that game at home to Georgia Tech. And, you know, of course, they go on, on the road to Duke and win that big Monday game, which, you know, just epitomized the entire Syracuse season. But, uh, you know, look, looking back on that in the zone, uh, Michael, has anybody been able to figure out that zone? Because I know you mentioned it a little bit and, you know, still say that it looks like a 1-2-2, two, two, but then they trap out of it, and then it looks like a 3-2, and then a 2-2-1. A two, two, I don't even know what you call that, man. I, I, I'm trying <laughs> to figure it out myself, and I still don't know what to call that. It's it's it kind of – it's I, I refer to it kind of as flowable fill. Um, I think it goes from like a 3-2 to a 2-1-2, and they the the top guys rotate through the free throw line. You'll see you'll see um, Alvarado jump up to ball and kind of follow him to the wing, while the wing kind of resets back to the foul line area, and they kind of follow it around. So there's minimal rotation with I guess maximum coverage. It's 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 difficult. I feel stupid explaining it because it might not even be. <laughs> I mean, I might not even be in the ballpark. I just know that <laughs> that. When when Bubba Parham is in the game, it doesn't work as well as Jose Alvarado. Jose Alvarado knows this zone inside and out, and I have no idea. Like I don't know if you asked anybody in the other than maybe Pastner or its architect, which at this point I don't even know who who came up with that zone. I would say it was was uh, current Maryland uh, loyal Maryland coach Tavares Hardy, but I'm not sure. But I just I've never seen anything like it. I've still never seen anything like it. As far as it being effective and has anybody figured it out, not really. Um, the biggest thing that I'll point out is Georgia Tech can't rebound out of it. Much like you guys have struggled in your 2-3 this year a little bit. Um, I mean, Georgia Tech just gave up 20 offensive rebounds to Bethune-Cookman. Uh, Bethune <laughs> it's... Syracuse has gone on the offensive boards pretty well this year. It's yeah, it would. Done well with Sadiq and Marek has been great on that end of things. Yeah, I mean, it's... Moses Wright is, for his athletic gifts, not a great rebounder. And him finding somebody to put a body on on the defensive end has been difficult. And when I think of, you know, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a pretty big believer in Sidibe. I just, I don't know if he's come full circle yet for me, but with Sidibe and Dolajai <laughs> and, 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 and Quincy Garrier, I mean, Garrier scares the hell out of me. He really does on the offensive glass. I just think he can out-athlete almost anybody that we have in the front court. So, you know, when you give up 20 offensive rebounds to Bethune-Cookman and you see Syracuse come to town with some of their front court players, that's that's a scary, you know, proposition for G-Tech, so. This one should be a really good game, James and Michael. I, I, I just see how gonna be much both of these teams need this game in the yep. greater complex of the ACC. This is probably what the ACC 
thought was going to be the case for many of these games come mid-December. Because we talked about that opening night. It didn't go well for a lot of teams. NC State especially probably hates that they lost that early one to Georgia Tech. And Syracuse just got off to the worst start possible against Virginia, and it just slid from there. This is the kind of game that both these teams need to really save their ACC records, their overall records, early in this season. And... They're both in a place right now where they're trying to find themselves out identity-wise, and mm-hmm. I think that puts them in a place where this is going to be a fantastic one, even if it's ugly. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I'm looking at Ken Palm now. It's it's a predictive score of 66-63 GTEC, which at home probably makes sense as far as the line goes. The the problem that I'm running into with with this Georgia Tech team right now is. I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be, and I hate to use this term because it's kind of cliche at this point. It's going to be a rock fight. Um, you know, I think it's it's going to be closer to, you know, if we're being serious, I think it's going to be mid-50s, low-50s. I think that's where we're going to end up. I think a lot of turnovers here. Neither team is a very good free-throw shooting team. Georgia Tech has been just foolishly bad from the free-throw line. Khalid Moore is a good free-throw shooter and hasn't been knocking him down. Michael DeVos is a very good free-throw shooter hasn't been knocking him down. You know, James Banks is really propping up that team free throw percentage all by himself, which is which is silly from your five man. But in a in a close game, things like that, you know, big time free throws. Now we're at home, so you know, not it's a little bit lessened my concerns. But we're at home against Bethune Cookman as well, and I think we shot sixty two percent from the line or fifty eight percent from the line, something like that. So in a close game, if we have to make free throws, I would give the edge to Syracuse, which not a whole lot better from the line, but a little bit better from the line. Yeah, Gerard's been money there. He's had a rough few games, but he's hitting almost every free throw he takes this year. So that is something they have going from them in that regard. Uh, James, where are you on this one? I, I'm probably leaning Georgia Tech just a little bit because I've given Syracuse the benefit of the doubt these last three, and they've shown absolutely nothing in these second halves. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely a Georgia Tech lean, and especially after that Iowa game, you know I. I thought Syracuse would lose the two previous games, uh, you know, against Oklahoma State and against Penn State. I thought they would rebound against mm-hmm. Iowa quite quite literally and, and figuratively. But um, on, on the boards, they did okay. But in every other category, they did not do well. And um, they just looked outmatched against Iowa. So, you know, I know Michael said it, but I, I expect Banks to have a good game, uh, especially on the boards. And I think he can score a little bit, too. Um, you know, Michael mentioned he's not that great necessarily. He's more of like a, you know, rebound and put it back up or finish off a lob. But I, I think he's going to have a good game in this one. I think he'll be a difference maker. And the, the Ken Palm score sounds right to me. You know, I think I think Georgia Tech will probably be a three point favorite somewhere around there. And I do I do think this game will be played in the fifties as well. I, I don't know if it'll get up to the sixties, but yeah, I think Georgia Tech wins at home um, even without Alvarado. I think they look better than Syracuse at this point in the season, which is pretty wild to say, but, um, and just, just kind of switching gears, you you know, Michael, this, this is kind of a a tough portion of the schedule for Georgia tech because, you know, they're going to tip against uh, Nebraska here momentarily, but then obviously have the Syracuse game on Saturday and then, you know, they go on the road to, to Kentucky. So is this, is this a big stretch for, for Georgia tech as we get, you know, kind of into the thick of it here and then uh, into conference play later this month? I think it is the maybe the biggest part of the season. Um, there was for me there was three big stretches um, on the season. The, the first one was just two games, and those were played in the third week of November. The the Georgia and Arkansas games, those were I think the, both of those were must wins. You know they lose on a fluky shot against Arkansas. Georgia they played 
terribly, but somehow came back. And then, you know, Rayshon Hammonds played out of his mind. This was the next stretch after the Bethune-Cookman game that, you know, that first stretch going 0-2, now you have to win games against Nebraska. You have to win games against Boise State. If you get to the second round, you need to beat Houston, who presumably will be in that second round against you. Because you need some kind of out-of-conference resume to show the committee that, yeah, you can play good teams, even if they're NIT teams or fringe, you know, NCAA tournament teams, and, and get those victories, especially at home. You know, Arkansas played terribly in that game, and they still beat Georgia Tech at home, which is just crazy. Tonight, this Nebraska game, this may be the biggest game of the season. Um, if you lose this game, you know, then you're looking at Syracuse and Kentucky back-to-back, and you got a week between them, which is never great. You're coming up on finals at Georgia Tech, which historically Georgia Tech never plays good on finals. It's such a difficult school. It takes a lot out of these kids. And if you go back years, you'll see many upsets from from the Hewitt era, from the Brian Gregory era to the Passner era, where Georgia Tech kids were taking finals and just <laughs> under underperformed on, on the court. It's 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 a trend that it's hard to miss, mm-hmm. and we're we're getting into that part of the schedule as well. And then towards the end of the season, you have a stretch of Wake Forest, Syracuse again. Um, that one's away. Clemson at home, Miami at home, Pittsburgh at home, and Clemson away. You know those are. Six games where you should go five and one, four and two at the absolute worst. So this is an important stretch. And then to close the season to show the committee that you're a good group is the next is the next part of the season that I think is is very integral. I don't think that's as big of a problem at Syracuse the final season. (laughs) (laughs) Hey Michael, before we get you out of here, I do have to ask you, this is a thing on this show. Are you a wine drinker? I've been known to have a little bit of red with a steak every now and then. All right. All right. What's the latest? What's your recommendation that you're throwing at us? Because we're always tossing back and forth on the show here. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a connoisseur by any means. Do your um, best. <laughs> my bet. Well, I'm, I'm my go-to for real, and I'm you know I apologize, but if this is a little off color, but there there's a blended red that we have. I mean, it's all over. It's called Menage a Trois. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> I mean, it, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad. I'm I don't have much fan. of a palate, but um, you know, if I get that with a nice you know rare steak, I'm I'm a pretty happy guy. Perfect end to the interview, James. <laughs> All right. For those who don't know, and then now you do, that's Michael Hunter of ACC Basketball Report. You can find him on Twitter at ACCBR1 or go to ACCBasketballReport.com. Michael, thanks for coming on the show, man. Looking forward to the game Saturday. I really appreciate you guys having me. Thanks a lot.